God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, I just want to say uh, that um, we're living, it seems like it's, we're living in a time where we're almost being held hostage by our own government. You know, the raids on conservatives won't stop. Because the regime knows elected Republicans won't do anything. It's as if liberals have done a smash and grab on America by openly rigging the elections, armed themselves with keys to power, and we are all their hostages. There are no police coming to save us. They are the police state. Now, you know, I kind of alluded to this yesterday and I was thinking about it and it's like you walk into a bank with a, you know, you you could either try to walk into the bank and tiptoe in and try to get in without ever being seen and then get out like a a cat, cat burglar. Gets in, gets out, nobody ever even saw the person, and next thing you know, the the jewel is missing. Or you say, well, you know, there's too many, too much uh, technology. There's no way to get around the sensors. So you just pull out your Uzis, you, you know, you smash and grab. Yeah, maybe maybe it's an inside job. Sure, sure is the case that. There's a lot of liberals inside government. And we're finding more and more as well that the mainstream media is really getting paid off. They're getting paid off just like politicians have always gotten paid off. So when you think about it, if you're 
if you're some sort of a mastermind thinker that doesn't really give a crap about democracy or the republic for which it stands, if you think that you're the smartest person in the room and that you're this liberal intellect from one of these Ivy League schools that thinks that somehow you know better, then you're liable to come up and say, well, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to rig the system and it's for their own good. They just, they're too dumb to know. They don't know all the complexities of what's involved and Trump is bad and and we're good. But we're finding out so much, so much information because there are people that are fighting every day. I'm fighting every day. Magapack.org is fighting every day. Tacticalcivics.com is fighting every day. But I read this. I wrote this, actually. Um, but I wrote this in response to this Spencer Fernando, this guy from Canada. So he wrote this. Remember the liberals gave out tens of millions of dollars to media outlets without disclosing who received them? So even those establishment press members that claim they didn't get bailed out by uh, may not be telling the truth. They can't be trusted. But I'm also talking about the Soros-backed NGOs that are promoting their causes and they're buying up ads with liberal carriers like MSNBC and CNN and making large donations to liberal organizations that are tax-funded like NPR and PBS. And they control the airwaves through money. And the journalists that work there, forget about that journalistic oath that they somehow saw in their freshman journalist class because that isn't even in play these days. Everybody knows, you know, I've met these journalists in D.C. I live in D.C. And I know how smart they are. They're really smart. They're Ivy League. They're they're top of their class. And there's no doubt about it that from... You know, when I've had conversations with them, you could tell that they're smart. But for them to stand there and act like they don't know better, they don't know right from wrong, that's disingenuous. I think even a smart person can lie to themselves, number one. And number two, I think that there are plenty of journalists that knew the truth. Van Jones was one of them. When they were talking about the Russian hoax, Van Jones was also one of them. He said, ah, that's Russian hoax. And and Project Veritas had plenty of these journalists on wiretap. And they all admitted, no, we're, we're pushing this stuff because it's uh, an election year. CNN has gotten caught so many times saying, well, now we're going to be pushing climate. We were pushing COVID trying to hurt Trump. Everything really happened when Trump took, came down the escalator. And they started lying on day one when they said, oh, we want him to run. Remember there was a montage? Uh, 
please run, Donald Trump. Please run. I'll donate to your campaign. Just run. They were all secretly scared. They all knew what what could happen. But they just thought that somehow Trump would self-implode. Just like the Russian hoax, I've always compared it to Watergate. It was a Democrat inside job designed not to pin that particular crime on the president, but to get the president to overreact and cover it up from a PR perspective. And then they would get him on an obstruction and get him impeached. That was the playbook for Watergate. And it got Nixon. And Donald Trump has been on record as saying one thing he learned about Watergate is don't get involved. The cover-up is worse than the crime. And so the Russian hoax was designed to do just that. And the person who financed it, we know, is Hillary Clinton, who then bleach-bit and hammered all of her 30,000 emails so that they would never be seen, never see the light of day on all these different mobile devices and hard drives And she was on the Watergate Commission. Like, she definitely knew the playbook. And then when she was running for president, she financed it. This goes back to 2015, folks. 2016. And where's the justice? Mike Lindell is getting his, getting raided and getting his phone confiscated, just like the congressman in Pennsylvania and just like Trump's Mar-a-Lago Everybody's getting raided, just like uh, uh, Steve Bannon said, 35 other people have gotten raided. The FBI, Stasi. You know, if they would cover real crime the way they would cover their political opponents. But that's why I say this. I say they're not even bothering to cover it up anymore. And I knew it when I first started seeing that Joe Biden wasn't even, he was campaigning and running harder against his uh, Democrat primary foe than he ever was against Donald Trump. Against Donald Trump, he just hid in his basement so he didn't have to answer any questions. So we couldn't play those recordings back to him when he lied through his teeth about everything that he's done. Just yesterday, he was sitting there trying to give a victory lap when inflation is at 8.3%. It was 1.4% when he took office. It's now 8.3%. We got two super bubbles. The stock market was ticking at the time that he's bragging about the Inflation Reduction Act and how they pulled together. That's going to do nothing but cause inflation, but Joe Biden either doesn't know or doesn't care because he's paying off his political cronies. He's paying off his uh, voter base. He's trying to buy the vote rather than earn the vote or give back to America so that America could be a, a stronger country. Of course, we know that's not what the Democrats are about. They're all about locking it in. Hopefully this uh, labor dispute with the train train operators is going to go better than it's looking. Otherwise, we're going to have more supply chain issues. But Joe Biden is giving this speech, t- patting himself on the back for 
8.3 inflation. It went up from 8.1. It went down from 8.5. It's going to go way up. It's going to go up even further. We're in. We're facing two super bubbles right now. And the last time we've had, we've seen anything like this, this, these two super bubbles in the housing and stock market was Japan. And Japan never recovered from their economic collapse in the 90s. They had two super bubbles. The bubbles were, um, and now you can't afford to live in Tokyo, for example. It's just way too expensive. Inflation stuck. But they had two super bubbles, and the two super bubbles were housing and stocks. And what do you think we have right now? We have housing and stocks. I was just watching a report yesterday where even in Miami, where the supply is less because people aren't selling their houses because everybody knows it's not a good time to sell unless you could sell your house. But people you know, put their houses up for sale and they'll just sit there now um, and they have to reduce the price. But despite the fact that... Um, that inventory was tightening, prices were still dropping in Miami. In other places in Florida that they were covering, um, it was a little different. The uh, inventory was growing, and it's going to continue to grow. And there's a lot of other states. Honolulu's getting hit hard. Several cities in California are getting hit hard. Uh, There's a lot of places that are getting hit hard right now in the housing market, and it's going to get worse. The only reason why it hasn't already gotten worse in terms of visibility is because of that Inflation Reduction Act, because of the stimulus spending. The, it's, it's, a, it's another bailout. Because of the student loan forgiveness, the trillions of dollars that are being spent buying up voter blocks and just basically... Um, injecting cash. It's almost like as if a company has humongous bills and they they're, and they lost their biggest customer and they didn't tell anybody. And they're basically paying off of borrowed money. And they keep getting the bank and they keep selling the bank that they still have this big cash cow customer. And the bank keeps giving them money and they keep spending it to try to kick the can down the road and pay their monthly bills only to find out that they're now knee-deep in debt and they have no way to pay off that loan. And the bank gets screwed and they go bankrupt. And then they don't have to pay it anymore. And I think that the bankrupt mechanism in that scenario that I just painted is when we switch over from cash to digital currency. You watch... The globalists are going to do something that's going to bail themselves out. So they're spending money that they know they're never going to have to pay back because they're going to switch over to a whole new monetary system. And that, I believe, is what the 87,000 IRS employees and $80 billion in injected cash into the IRS is all about. It's all about that digital currency.
and the globalists are in control. And I think that this Great Reset was what inspired the Democrats to, be, to act so desperately in the 2016 and the 2020 elections. Well, I think everything really hinges from what Barack Hussein Obama, perhaps the worst enemy of America, um, I, th- I believe that uh, he was the, the catalyst to, to this whole thing. You know, I was looking at um, consent decree, uh, this new, um, you know, we're, we're talking about high crime in our major cities. And Tucker Carlson was talking about this thing called a de- dissent, consent decree. And he was talking about it last night. And I thought it was interesting. So basically, it's a quota-based system for crime, and in particular, black crime. And it says... Um, that you're limited as to how many you you have to you have to uh, your arrests should reflect your population in some shape or fashion, so that you know you 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 can't have your arrest statistics be so uh, so grossly skewed toward one ethnic group. That's not looking at crime. That's looking at skin color to determine how many people you're allowed to arrest. But if one particular group is causing 70% of the crime in their skin color and the other is causing 10% of the crime in their skin color, you're probably going to have and and you're 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 bound into to the uh, consent decree, then you're going to be having to turn a blind eye to a lot of crime. And maybe that's the reason why it is that, you know, there are so there's so much escalating black crime right now because black people, black thugs in the streets, tend to think that they can get away with this crime. I mean, we're seeing it all over the place. Just it's absolutely horrendous, and people are now having to get take guns and put them in their sh- safes and. And store owners have to be armed and equipped for the next robbery that's going to come down their way. Because the police aren't coming. The police have been defunded. There was a statistic in New Orleans where they basically, there was more crimes in the queue than there were police officers. So you call 911 and there's a two-hour wait. That's no way to that's no way to be. It's no way to it's just impossible. It's an impossible scenario. Yesterday I mentioned the Wild West, you know, the spaghetti westerns where you left your gun and you know, with the mayor's office when you walked through town. And uh it's just lawlessness. You got one sheriff to you know and uh you got all this crime. And you have lawlessness, and basically might is right. You know, the person with the biggest gun uh, will be the one dictating justice. So we don't want to live in a, in a in a place like that. And what's weird about globalism is it seems to spread almost consistently like where things start here in America, and next thing you know, you see it popping up 
in Europe and elsewhere because of social media, technology, the algorithms, indoctrination, mind control. I believe all of these things are happening. I actually do believe that CIA and Facebook forged a partnership to control population, their mindset. But when Spencer Fernando wrote this, he said, remember the liberals gave out tens of millions of dollars to media outlets without disclosing who received them. So not only do we, not only is it dark money that they're getting from somewhere else, like George Soros's NGOs are getting donations that are established by the globalists themselves. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a World Economic Forum where they were hinting with a nod and a wink. These are the types of organizations that are on the approved support list. So with your billions of dollars that we've squandered illegally from the American middle cl- or the world's middle class, you're going to go ahead and feed these organizations who are our workers on the ground, Black Lives Matter being one of them. And we're going to go ahead and make sure they are fund, properly funded so that they can manipulate the media, pay off the politicians, and, um, and help the campaigns uh, that are right for them. That hiring the woke DAs and the woke local politicians, and you can go on down the list. <clears throat> so I wrote, journalists learned pay-to-play from the politicians they've covered over the past decades. Detroit and Memphis are two examples of once prosperous cities until liberal corruption, racism, unions, and secret societies destroyed them. Socialists have always stolen from capitalists. You don't see people going to some poor, starving socialist country and trying to exploit that. It's corrupt, yes, but there's hardly any money in that. So what happens is is they install these capitalist societies. Well, they hijack the capitalism. You know, the wealthiest cities in, in, the, in the world were Detroit and Memphis, and they, they were uh, run by Republicans up until about 1960. And then they were taken over by liberals. And then the liberals were bought and paid for by the unions. And they all exploited the corporations that were making everything run right. And the automobile uh, industry was getting crushed with, with all kinds of demands from the unions who were being supported by the Democrats. And then without any kind of foresight, we started to have a more global society. And that global society brought in the competition from Japan. And the Japan automakers ate American automakers' lunch. Honda, Toyota, Nissan. Remember, Datsun became Nissan. But yeah. And then German influence, Mercedes, BMW, Saab was once a company, but they're out of business, and so on and so forth. You know, you you have a lot of that. But um, 
We just didn't see it coming. You know, it's easy to win when you have no competition. But that was really the first time that American corporations had to compete with global corporations or corporations from other countries, which became a global race to, to win. You know, like the Olympics, which we've destroyed with our wokeness and trans and cis and gender stuff and whatever. You know, you have guerrilla bodybuilders <laughs> uh, on the on the women's weightlifting team. You know, it's crazy. It's just nuts. Liberals, they come in and they screw up everything. Just like trans. You don't see the trans going to the men's teams. I want to play for the man, even though I feel like a woman. I want to play. No, they want to play and beat up on women and ruin women's sports overnight. Um, and there's only one way that that's going, right? It's always trans going to women's sports. It's ridiculous. And then you're hearing about trans uh, getting incarcerated and raping women in the prisons. I mean, how as a society we've allowed all this to happen is just absurd. But let this be known. You know, uh, Milton Freeman, I have a couple of clips I want to play. Pretty short clips. And uh, there's a a lot of different clips I could play, actually. But um, I have to pick and choose wisely. All right, so here's here's the uh, Milton Freeman quotes, which are pretty true. These are very, very true. This guy was a genius, really smart dude. But let's take a listen to this one. This is where he says, Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money and any other attribution to other groups for inflation is wrong. But it comes down to the same thing. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution of an, to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. The trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. But it comes down... Bingo. Boom. And that's why we have inflation. Thanks to our government. Here's another Milton Freeman classic. Inflation is just like he's, alcohol. Uh, he's um, tying inflation to alcoholism. <laughs> it's kind of a, a good one. Inflation is just like alcoholism. In both cases, when you start drinking or when you start printing too much money, the good effects come first. The bad effects only come later. That's why, in both cases, there's a strong temptation to overdo it, to drink too much and to print too much money. When it comes to the cure, it's the other way around. When you stop drinking or when you stop printing money, the bad effects come first and the good effects only come later. That's why it's so hard to persist with the cure. Love it. Yep. It's he, he's right. He's absolutely right. And that's uh from I think that was from the 60s. That was from the six, 60s. Um 
And what we're faced with, what we're faced with is this economic malaise, this economic collapse. I have this really great video, and I'm not going to play it. It's too long. But it's about the depression that wipes out a generation. And I'm going to play the first part of it, but it's too long, so I can't play it all. But I'm going to play just the first part of it to give you a tone, a taste of it. I did post it over on my social media over at twitter.com slash Scott Adams show and on my Facebook page, even though they've throttled me completely to the bottom of everything. But in in any case, um, check it out. But this is uh, this this clip really it's uh, it's been out for about a week and it's talking about what we can expect in the in between now and the end of the year. But let's take a listen. Period of time. And when you right here. We're coming with it. My view is that the world has been in a depression since 2007 and will remain so for an indefinite period of time. And when you say that, people are, wait a second. You know, we know the definition of a recession. The technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP, rising unemployment. There's a few other bells and whistles. There's a little bit of subjectivity to it. The National Bureau of Economic Research are the unofficial but widely followed referees on when you're in a recession and when you're not. Well, we're in the expansion. Uh, the expansion started in June 2009. So like, wait a second, how can we be in a depression if we're in the 10th year of an expansion? And the answer is that people don't really understand the definition of a depression. They assume intuitively, well, if a recession is two quarters of declining GDP, and a depression sounds worse, it must be six quarters of declining GDP. Well, we haven't had that. But that's not the definition of a depression. The definition of a depression is a sustained period of below trend growth with no particular tendency to collapse or getting back to trend. In other words, I'll use the United States, but you can apply this more broadly to the world. If trend growth is three, three and a half percent, and that's probably the long-term potential of the United States, you know, you can hire nominal growth with inflation, but we're talking about real growth. If trend is three, three and a half, and you're running at two, that gap between say three and a half and two, that's depressed growth. So yes, you have growth. You're not in a technical recession, but you're in a depression because you're not getting back to that trend. And people say, well, 2%, 3%, one percentage point, who cares? No, that gap is huge. And because of the compounding, in fact, think of it as a wedge, there's the trend line. Here's the actual line. That wedge gets bigger. So we are 10 years out. We've left $5 trillion of potential growth on the table. That's the output gap or the growth gap, the difference between depressed growth and trend growth. That's how much wealth has been lost because of this depressed growth. But being objective, using the numbers I mentioned, we're in a depression. We're going to stay that way. The United States is Japan. You know, Japan had the famous lost decade. Well, the lost decade was 20 years ago started in 1990 through 2000. Japan's now almost at the end of their third lost decade. If something doesn't change, either in terms of policy or a collapse, something gets worse. But absent that, we're going to remain in this kind of punk 2% growth as far as the eye can see. You know, people say, oh, well, the headwinds, demographic, technological, productivity, psychological, etc., haven't changed, and there's no reason to expect they'll change. So combine this world depression, because what I just described is true of Japan, it's true in Europe, 
Not so true in China, but China's a special case. There's a lot of, they cook the books. You know, they're 7-8% growth that they've been printing. Cut that in half because 45% of that growth is infrastructure, most of which is wasted. So if you apply generally accepted accounting principles and made them write off all that wasted investment, they'd be a lot lower than it appears. But the whole world is caught in this trap. Meanwhile, debt is going up faster than the growth. Is debt good or bad? Well, it depends. Debt can be good if you can afford it, if you can pay it off, and you can use it for productive purposes. It's bad if you can't afford it, it's not sustainable, you're using it as a substitute for real growth, and it's all going to crash and burn. So you can't understand debt in isolation. You have to understand debt relative to income. And that debt-to-GDP ratio, which is something I spent a lot of time looking at, the GDP is kind of chugging along, not going up very much, but the debt's going like this. The debt-to-GDP ratio is getting worse. It looks like we're heading for a global debt crisis. Not quite there yet, but it could happen sooner than later. Very little doubt that the Fed is going to tighten in September. My baseline scenario for the Fed is straightforward. They're going to tighten four times a year, every March, June, September, and December, 25 basis points each time until they get interest rates up to, you know, three and a quarter, three and a half percent, somewhere in that range. Unless one of three pause factors applies. The pause factors are disorderly decline in stock markets, Employment starts to go down. They basically lose jobs. Their unemployment's going up. The third one, disinflation or deflation, spins out of control. Right now, none of those three pause factors applies. The, the stock markets, they're going sideways, but they're not crashing. You know, the Fed doesn't care if the stock market goes down 15% in six months. They do care if it goes down 15% in six days. That's disorderly, and that's the kind of thing where you would see the Fed pause, but that's not happening right now. Job growth is strong. Inflation is ticking up. I don't think it'll spin out of control, but we're out of that disinflation danger zone. So none of the three pause factors applies. Therefore, you should expect the Fed to just keep raising. But there's no doubt that the Fed is over-tightening because in addition to trying to get interest rates back to normal, they're also reducing the balance sheet. They're trying to normalize the balance sheet. But now the Fed has a dilemma, which is what are they going to do if the U.S. economy goes into a recession? As I said, we're in the 10th year of an expansion. You know, the old cliche, expansions don't die of old age. is true, but they do die. And history shows that it takes about four percentage points of cuts, 400 basis points, in other words, for the Fed to get the economy out of a recession. Well, how do you cut interest rates 4% if you're only at 2%? The answer is you can't. You cut them to zero and then you're stuck. You're at that zero bound and the evidence is good that negative rates don't work. So then what do you do? We're going to print some money again. Modern monetary theorists would say, yes, I disagree. And I think the Fed disagrees as shown by their own actions in trying to reduce the balance sheet. So what the Fed is doing, they're trying to raise rates to, you know, three, four percent, trying to get the balance sheet down, maybe two trillion, a little bit less so that when the recession hits, they can run the playbook again. They can cut rates and if necessary, do QE. But here's the dilemma. Can you normalize interest rates and normalize the balance sheet without causing the recession that you're preparing to cure? That's the conundrum. I think the answer is no. I think that actually in trying to tighten to get ready for the next recession, they're probably going to cause the recession. There's no data, there's no time series that tells you how this is going to play out. Except during QE, what did we see? We did not see a lot of inflation, but we saw asset prices blow up stocks real estate, you know, other asset categories, they all went up a lot. So it seems at least kind of first order intuitive that if you print money, asset prices go up. If you destroy money, asset prices are going to go down. Uh, so what the Fed is doing, they're destroying money, reducing the money supply. So they're really double tightening. In addition to the four rate hikes a year, this reduction in the balance sheet is probably equivalent, this is an estimate, probably equivalent to four more rate hikes per year. So they're actually tightening at a tempo of about 2%. Probably going to throw the economy into recession. The 
Fed has never forecast a recession. They have a terrible forecasting record. This will happen before they know it. Of course, we all know that stocks will go down. So based on that, I'm not bullish on growth. I'm bearish on stocks. People say, well, gold hasn't gone up a lot. It's true. I'm surprised it hasn't gone down more given the tightening environment that we've described. So gold has actually performed fairly well given the environment. Now, what I do expect is in time, as these signs of recession emerge, yield curve inverts, growth slows, job creation. It gets a little bit more wonkish there. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I love that video, though. I love this audio um, that we just heard um, because I think the guy is right. And uh, he does uh, later in this video audio get into uh, comparison with uh, the dynamics of what set Japan into a free fall. And we are very much in the same predicament with two bubbles, like a super bubble. And the super bubbles, um, when you compare them to uh, uh, Japan, um, they're very similar. And generally speaking, you could look to history as a guide to your economic uh, um, situation. Um, you know, this this was disturbing. This was another speech that um, Joe Biden gave just the, uh, just I think it was yesterday or the day before. I think it was the day before yesterday. But um, take a listen to this, what he talks about uh, with regard to vaccines and cancers. This is going to be their next move. We know we can change the trajectory. For example, to prevent cancers, scientists are exploring whether mRNA vaccine technology that brought us safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines could be used to stop cancer cells when they first arise. To target the right treatments, we're learning more about how to use genetics. We know we can change so are they safe? Are they really safe? The spike protein is a toxin. So it, it's not, doesn't matter whether it's J&J, AstraZeneca, Moderna, uh, Pfizer, they all make your body make a spike protein. That spike protein binds to a tumor suppressor gene family, P53. It also binds to the breast cancer gene, BRCA, and the ovarian cancer gene, BRCA. We know that that spike protein can induce cancer pathways period. It's happening. Cancers are on the increase across the board, lymphomas, leukemias, blood cancers, because that spike goes to the bone marrow. The lipid nanoparticle carries the mRNA to your dividing stem cells because it doesn't stay in the arm. It can go into any cell in your body and it turns that cell into a spike factory. It inhibits the ability for your DNA to repair itself. It binds to uh, our mitochondria destroys the energy of our brain cells, destroys the energy of our liver cells, destroys the energy of any cell it gets into. Your own immune system attacks those cells. So a lot of people have arthritic pain, muscle pain. It's because those cells are being attacked by your own immune system because they're expressing this foreign spike protein. That spike protein causes mechanisms of cancer in many people. And I've been seeing that in the lab. I've been having it confirmed by oncologists, radiologists, radiation oncologists, pathologists all around the world as I travel. It is happening. It's on the uptick. Our military database showed it until our Department of Defense illegally froze that database and hit the data. 
Um, this is a crime against humanity where using a dangerous product on humanity that is harming the human cells, that is harming the human body, that is harming our hormones, that is harming our reproductive organs, that is harming any organ where that, that protein lands, period. And that's uh, Dr. Ryan Cole. And he, uh, you know, and so at the same time that, that Joe Biden is pushing mRNA uh, vaccines to cure cancer, uh, this doctor here is saying it's, it's a cause for cancer. And what concerns me even more is that the people that are pushing these vaccines, they're all liberal. They're all liberal and they all want population control. Two that you want to get to zero, and that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out uh, per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Now uh, that's back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. Yeah, he could lower. He could lower that. You know, that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy that uh, Bill Gates is the one that's in charge of these vaccines, especially when you consider that when you consider that the Bill and Gates, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was was <laughs> a, a population control center. You know, that's what they were. That's what that, that that's how they were labeled. And uh, I'm actually trying to find that. I I guess what has happened is Facebook, because I had posted them over on Facebook, Facebook has torn them down. That's uh, just unbelievable. Um, we li- what kind of country is this that we're living in, folks? It's absolutely absurd. And um, you wonder how they could get a- get away with it. Let's see. I was just looking. I was a little surprised to see that. Oh, right here. Dr. Zabin became the founding director of the Bill and Melinda Gates Institute for Population Control. With the- Institution for Population Control. Right there. That's how they were introduced. And, you know, and then you got uh, Boris Johnson's father talking about world population reduction. And at the same time, they're doing the smash and grab on America as if America is a bank and they're the bank robbers and they know they're going to get busted. They know they're getting busted. They know that they can't get away with this. They know that they're so far behind in terms of what they could sell to the American people. They know that the American people aren't going to buy this. So what they're doing is they're holding you at gunpoint. They open. They they rigged the election. 
They're arresting everybody that says that, that everybody that questions the election, they're arresting them. And they're going after them. And anybody that's questioning the election, which is how they got to power. And it's how they got their hands on the nuclear codes. It's how they got to be the commander in chief to control the army. It's how they got to the ability to defund the police. And basically call make, make the world a free-for-all. It's how they um, started pushing uh, this weird indoctrination on our children. Cisgender this and, and uh, critical race theory that. They're trying to erase our statues in history. They're trying to rewrite history. And rewrite the Constitution at the same time before it's too late. They want to pack the courts. And, you know, it's a hard coup to do. It is a coup, though. It's a smash-and-grab coup where they, they just drove the car in to the wall and broke the wall down, took over the bank, and took over the keys, took over the security... And basically says, we're in charge now. You know, um, there was that movie, uh, Captain Phillips, where the pirates over in Somalia would seize a boat. And I remember that line, he said, we're in charge now. This is my boat. It's no different than any other third world country, really. Like when Egypt was overthrown, Mubarak, they threw Mubarak out, Morsi, part of the Muslim Brotherhood came in and that was all endorsed by Barack Hussein Obama and Barack Obama and Erdogan, the other radical Islamic jihadi um, from Turkey um, basically when el-Sisi gained back control of the country they didn't acknowledge el-Sisi as the leader they called it a military coup but the, the fact that remains is that how did Morsi get there? And he was really uh, inhumane to his people. And he was going to run Egypt like the Muslim Brotherhood runs things, like the Taliban runs Afghanistan, and so on. And so you have all this, and you say, well, they just went in, guns a-blazing, rigged the elections like they did in Venezuela, and then they're in power. And by the way, that guy is still there. That guy is still in power in Venezuela. No one can get him out because nobody has the control of the army. Nobody has the power to to do it. And he'll be in power for as long as he wants because he has the guns and you don't. Because these same monsters want to not only defund you with inflation, but they want to de- disarm you as well. And that's how they do it. That's what's happening in America right now. You say, why are the police not doing anything? Or how can, you know, where's the justice? We say, this two standards of justice. We're complaining about it. Because we see it with our own two eyes. Your eyes aren't tricking you. What gets me the most, though, what, what really gets me is that I actually had friends that were liberals that can't see this. 
They can't see that this is a coup happening before their eyes. They'd say, you're nuts. You think that's a coup? No, you're, you're, you're crazy. And they're the same people, the same people that want to take charge of the government, that have taken, seized control of the government, are telling you that you're the treason. You're, the, you're, you're not democratic. They're, dem- they're, they're defending democracy. They're telling you, like, the sky is purple. Up is down, left is right. They're basically telling you they're here to defend democracy and American values with their cisgender, their Black Panthers, their Black Lives Matter crap. And enough people have fallen for this that they literally voted for Biden. It doesn't make any sense to me. Those are the people we need to influence because they can't pull off this coup if they have no support. And so what we're trying to do as conservative media is shine a spotlight on this to try to make an argument every day of how ridiculous this is and that surely one day you're going to wake up and you're going to say, right. Just like a lot of liberals said, you know, the vaccine isn't working. It's causing people to die. And it's happening. You know, but before you know it, you're going to have a leader like this woman here, the European Union, and she's going to say this. And this is what is expensive, because in these peak demands, the expensive gas comes into the market. So what we have to do is flatten the curve and uh, avoid the peak demands. We will propose a mandatory target for reducing electricity use at peak hours, and we will work very closely with the member states to achieve this. Now, she's not going to have to conserve her energy, but she's going to crack down and put you in jail for three years if you don't live within your carbon footprint. And she wants to flatten the curve. Where have we heard flatten the curve? She's using it with climate right now. And by the way, it was uh, King Charles that said that that the uh, climate is affecting the pandemics. They're tying the two together. And they want you to take this jab and they want the social credit score system. They want the digital currency. They want to control that. And they want you to have a green card and a carbon footprint. And you must have a phone app on your phone to track every movement. And you must have electronic appliances that are approved by Klaus Schwab himself so that they could turn them on and turn them off so that you can't overdo it. And if you do overdo it, you're going to pay a premium as if you run over your minutes on an old cell phone plan. And you're going to be penalized and taxed for your consumption. Everybody has to live within their means. And it, because the world population is getting out of control, they, they, they claim. So we need to shrink the population. We need to put vaccines into your arms that in, impact your uh, menstrual cycles, your reproductive organs, your ability to have babies. They're, they're, they're evil. And they're descendants of Hitler. These people in Europe 
that are pushing these things, they're 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 in the same gene pool. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know what to say about it except for the fact that we've not learned from history. You know, we're 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 afforded inalienable rights, God-given rights to live and breathe on our own. The government is just supposed to be there to maintain some semblance of order, infrastructure, and those types of things. But they've gotten way ahead of their skis on this. And they've they've seized control to the point where, you know, you got a pillow guy that's just getting crushed. Right? You know, there's a lot of great little jokes about that. And it says the FBI raided the my pillow guy, but not the Parkland shooter, the pulse shooter, Hunter Biden, or any of Epstein's associates. Hunter Biden laundered cash for his VP daddy while smoking crack and Russian hookers, and the FBI has the evidence. So obviously they raided the pillow guy. If Biden was winning, he wouldn't be raiding pillow salesmen. Is that true? Or is that false? That's true. And then the other part is uh, John Solomon John Solomon came out with the well, the Rasmussen reports came out and said that the Russian hoax statistically impacted the election in 2016. That's number one. And Technofog said the purpose should be quite clear. The FBI buries Danchenko from inquiry by making him a CHS. In doing so, the FBI prevents discovery of the misconduct, utterly corrupt and self-serving. So Rasmussen came out and said that that ruse did, in fact, uh, impact the election. And a new Durham bombshell, John Solomon writes, the FBI paid paid the Russian, Danchenko, accused of lying as a confidential informant against Trump. So that is proof that the FBI... Uh, has paid for the corruption and election rigging in the 2016 election and obviously with the Hunter Biden laptop in the 2020 election. So there's just, we have the evidence, folks. We have to sell it. We have to broadcast it as loud as we can. We could still win this fight. We just need to be smart about it. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. Be sure to check out tacticalcivics.com. Be sure to check out magapac.org to find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again. Also, when you go over to the pillow guy over at mypillow.com, use Red State as your promo code. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye bye, everybody. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.